0: Faith Talk five seventy WTBN Pinellas Park online at Let's Talk A service of the sale versions of this hour have been pre-recorded for broadcast at this time. Odyssey. The following program was pre-recorded for broadcast at this time. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse
1: by Verse Ministries. You know, to the world, we look like a group of people that has a set of rules, a set of do's and don'ts, and we follow kind of a code of ethics, and that's not true. We don't have just a set of do's and don'ts, arbitrary set. We don't just follow a code of ethics. We behave differently because we are different. For instance, why don't you turn back to Ephesians chapter 1 and look at verse 4. Now, this is who we are before God. We have been chosen, just as he chose us in him, before the foundation of the world. Why? Why were we chosen? That we should be holy and blameless before him.
2: you to let those words from Ephesians sink in. This is who we are, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. You know, the interesting thing is why God chose us. It wasn't because we were great or exceptionally righteous people. Because we're not. God chose us that we should be holy and blameless before Him. Wow. I guess John Newton was right amazing grace welcome to verse by verse where we will be listening to the teaching of pastor steve kreloff of lakeside community chapel in clearwater florida we have been working our way through the series the walk of the new man which pastor steve preached at lakeside this has truly been an exceptional series i hope you have been blessed challenged and encouraged In fact, we have more of that for you today on Verse by Verse. So here is Pastor Steve. I'd
1: like you to turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians the fourth chapter. We're only going to look at one verse tonight, verse 28, but I'm going to read, so you'll see things in context, I'm going to read starting at verse 17. This I say therefore and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their minds being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. But you did not learn Christ in this way. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus, then in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self or the old man, which is being corrupt in accordance with the lust of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And put on the new self, which is in the likeness of God, has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Therefore, laying aside falsehoods, speak truth, each one of you with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. Be angry, and yet do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. And do not give the devil an opportunity. Let him who steals steal no longer, but rather let him labor performing with his own hands what is good, in order that he may have something to share with him who has need. It's been a while since we've studied Ephesians together, but we find ourselves in perhaps the most practical aspect of this letter, very practical study of the behavior of the new man. After telling us what it means to be in Christ, which is the first three chapters of this book, Paul, beginning at chapter 4, tells us how those in Christ are to behave. He starts off by saying we are to have a worthy walk. That is, our, our conduct is to match our doctrine. What we are before God, we are to be before men, and we are to walk that way. But from verse 17 on in this chapter, Paul begins making contrast between the behavior of the old man, that is, all that we were before Christ, all that we were in Adam, the natural man, the unregenerate man, and he makes a contrast between the behavior of, of the old man or the old self and the new man, which is all we are since coming to Christ. And he speaks in very, very practical terms. Very practical terms, very specific terms. You know, sometimes you hear Christians give their testimony and, uh, they, they try to express the change that's taken place in their lives since coming to Christ. And usually we get caught up in, in, generalities, which don't really hit home. For instance, we'll say things like, he's given me peace, joy, love, a new purpose in living, And, and all those are true. But the Apostle Paul takes it a step further, and he explains specifically how we're to behave, what change has taken place in our lives. It isn't just peace in general. It's different. It's a specific kind of peace. It isn't just joy in general. It's a specific kind of behavior that has taken place in our lives. We never need fear to say those things. We're completely new in Christ, and our behavior ought to express that and demonstrate that. As I was studying this, I thought, you know, to the world, we look like a group of people that has a set of rules, a set of do's and don'ts, and we follow kind of a code of ethics, and that's not true. We don't have just a set of do's and don'ts, arbitrary set. We don't just follow a code of ethics. We behave differently because we are different. For instance, why don't you turn back to Ephesians chapter 1 and look at verse 4. Now, this is who we are before God. We have been chosen, just as he chose us in him, before the foundation of the world. Why? Why were we chosen? That we should be holy and blameless before him. Now, before God, we are holy and blameless. That's the reason he chose us. Because we would never be holy and blameless without him choosing us. We, no man seeks after God, and no one would come to God unless he chose us and worked in our heart. But be positionally before God, we are holy and blameless. And what the Apostle Paul is saying, that the new man, because he's holy and blameless before God, must behave holy and blameless before people. It isn't just a set of, of ethics. It isn't a philosophy that we follow. It isn't that we just have decided that we're going to be moral, upright citizens and people. No. Paul is just telling us that our conduct ought to reflect the way we really are. We must do this by faith. We must do it by obedience. Whether you feel holy or or blameless is not the issue. You are before God. You are as righteous as the Lord Jesus Christ. Nobody feels that way. We all feel like rotten sinners. But we are righteous before God, so our behavior must be righteous before people. That's what he's saying. And he gives us a series of of contrast, the old man does this, and you know why the old man does this? Because the old man is deceitful. The old man walks according to, to the lusts of his own deceit. He can't help himself. We shouldn't expect anything from unsafe folks. But the new man has been created in what? Righteousness and holiness of the truth. That's what he says in these verses. No longer do we walk in, in corruption in accordance with the lusts of deceit, but righteous and holiness in the truth. And so we are to be different. We have taken off the old man and we have put on the righteousness and clothes of the new man. So how are we to behave? Last time we met or the last few times, we we said in verse 25 that one way we're we're to behave, first of all, Paul tells us what we're not to do and then he tells us what we are to do. One way we are to behave is we are to stop lying and we are to speak the truth. I had a a vivid illustration of this this week. I was with my brother in uh, the hospital in Miami. We were going up to see my dad. I think it was Thursday. And uh, a doctor got on the elevator. It stopped at the floor. And uh, he said apparently to the head nurse or a nurse, he said uh, that it was nice seeing you. And I don't know why my brother said this, but he said, was it really nice seeing her? You know what he said? No. It wasn't, but he said, you got to treat the head nurses nice. They get the work done. That is exactly what happened. I made a mental note of putting it in the message. But that, but you see, we are to stop lying, and he lied. And that's, that's what we are to stop doing, even in those things that are not very obvious. And we are to speak the truth. Not only that, in verse 26 and 27, he says, we are not to have selfish anger that would give the devil an opportunity to destroy us through bitterness and, and wrath and all of those things, malice and hatred and so forth. But we are to have righteous anger, we are to have righteous indignation when the holiness of God has been offended. Now we study that, so we don't really need to review that, but we are, to, we are to speak the truth and we are to have righteous indignation. Now this evening we want to look in another area of our behavior, very practical area, one in which is revolutionary if you'll receive what the Lord has, and that's, it's our work, our work. Let's read again, verse 28. Let him who steals, steal no longer, but rather let him labor, performing with his own hands what is good, in order that he may have something to share with him who has need. Now, the first part of that verse basically says, let him who steals, stop stealing, stop stealing. Why would Paul say this? Wouldn't believers stop stealing automatically? Not necessarily. If believers would stop stealing automatically and stop being angry automatically and stop lying automatically, the Apostle Paul wouldn't have to tell us to stop doing these things. Stealing was a problem in the ancient world, a very big problem, particularly among slaves, and the reason being that usually the slaves weren't well cared for. They always seemed to have needs, and the the law didn't give them much protection, and so they felt that it was their right to just take. It was coming to them. They weren't treated well, so why not steal? But the sin of stealing wasn't limited to slaves. It was a problem in the ancient heathen world. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, in his commentary on Ephesians, says this, there was nothing that was more characteristic of heathendom than stealing. It is always one of the leading characteristics of a godless and irreligious society. They had been steeped in it. They had been brought up in it. They had become such a matter, of, it had become rather such a matter of habit and of custom, and a practice that at first they didn't even realize that there was anything wrong in it. And they needed to be enlightened and instructed in the way that the Apostle was here instructing them. Stealing isn't only a problem that they faced in the ancient world. You know it's a problem that we face today amongst believers as well as non-believers. It is such a problem in our society that our entire economic system is affected by it. Did you realize that? Prices go up. I think I heard one-third of the uh, of the prices just added because of things like shoplifting and and stealing. Our economic system is affected by stealing. According to the U.S. Commerce Department, about 4 million people are caught shoplifting every year. That's 4 million people. That's just in our country. But for every person caught, it's estimated that 35 people don't get caught. I don't know how they figure that out, but that's what the estimate is. Now listen to this. If these estimates are correct... And we have no reason to, to doubt that they, that they are. About 140 million shoplifting incidents occur in a country of 250 million people. Isn't that incredible? Over half of the people are involved in shoplifting, or at least the incidents are involved in that. There are other statistics, too. 30% of all business failures are a direct result of internal theft. Security officials estimate that 9% of all employees steal on a regular basis, and 75% of all employees in retail establishments steal to some degree, taking three times as much as shoplifters. Stealing has become so bad. I, I couldn't believe when I, when I read this, but there is a group out, there's an organization known as PHEFT, T-H-E-F-T, which specialize in hiring out actors who play the role of crooks. Why? For this reason, let me read to you about it. A thief is hired with as much fanfare as any other new employee. He spends a few days blending into the regular workforce, then is caught stealing. This is all planned, all mapped out. Why? With a great deal of shouting and screaming, he gets fired, and the other employees get the message. This is quoting from someone who's in charge of it. Our people are prepared to take as much scolding and humiliation as the employer may see fit to use said Ray Wilder, founder and director of theft. By the way, theft stands for the honest employees fooling thieves. There's nothing really honest about it, but that's what they say. It's really deceitful. Their motto is hire someone to fire. And this is what the idea is. The idea is that it's much better for the employer to fire an undercover employee for stealing and get the message across that way rather than lose an otherwise valuable employee. So they set someone up, and that person is fired, and everybody gets the message. Don't do it, or you'll be fired. That's the way our American society is. And, and stealing takes on many different forms, maybe some subtle things that you're involved in that you're not even aware of. You know how much hotels and motels lose? Each year they lose about $500 million a year in silverware, in towels, and soaps, and things of that nature. While one New York City hotel, or actually one year, Uh, all the combined New York City hotels actually lost over 4,000 Bibles. I mean, Bibles were just stolen from New York City hotels. Actually, 4,600 Bibles were stolen from rooms in New York City hotels. You know how much the average library loses? 200 to 500 books are stolen. I take it that means every year. 200 to 500 books are stolen, and they lose about $25 million a year. That's rather obvious. But what about the the other things that aren't so obvious? Tax evasions. Maybe you just don't declare certain things on your taxes. How about custom dodging, which is robbing the government? You say, but the government isn't fair. That's not the issue. Do you think when Paul said to these slaves, stop stealing, that he he said, well, look, I know that your masters are not fair to you, so you have every right to steal from them? No. The point is... It's not whether your master is fair or not. The point is you are to behave like the new man and stop stealing. How about employers who oppress their workers? Maybe you're an employer and you're not fair with your workers. You say you're going to do one thing for them and you don't. How about employees who give poor service or shorter hours than they're being paid for? That's very prevalent and Christians need to be careful about that. Christians need to be careful about witnessing on the job when it's their employer's time. I know we want to witness, but witness off the job, not on your employer's time unless you are in a a Christian employment, and that's what you are hired to be involved in. How about not paying your debts, borrowing money and not paying it? How about falsifying expense accounts for you businessmen and businesswomen who might falsify accounts, just kind of add to it? How about not making note of a clerk's error? They hand you back too much money, and you take it. How about cheating on your insurance claims that's that's all stealing there's one i thought that was very pertinent for christians let me read it to you rather than try to explain it this was an article found in christianity today about copying copyrighted material here's what it said a christian composer was pleased during his visit to a church in another city when the choir sang a song he had written but his pleasure turned to mixed feelings of outrage and gloom when he discovered that only the organist had a published copy. The others all had photocopies produced by a machine on the premises. For every music publication sold, approximately 75 to 100 illegal copies are made either for personal group use or for bootleg sales, claims Peter Clatter, Jr., president of Zondervan Publishing Firm in Grand Rapids. That That is a real sin that Christians have. You cannot copyright material in the sense of of not paying for a book. If you're going to copy something, and this is the law of the land, if you're going to copy something, if by your copying, you will restrict the sale of material, then it's wrong. It's it's just wrong. And choirs have been known to do that by one or two books, and then everybody copies it. That's really stealing. You say, but that's not fair. Why should they do this to us? The issue is not whether it's fair or not. The issue is that's the law, and it's really stealing now the message that paul is saying is every and any kind of stealing has to stop in fact if a person continues to steal after knowing the truth if he continues to steal as a pattern lifestyle and there's no remorse and there's no struggle with it and there's no feelings of of uh, of of trying to have victory over this and the bible says he's not even a christian did you know that i like you to turn your bibles to 1 corinthians chapter 6 Now, we're not talking about a person who struggles. We're not talking about someone who has a weakness in an area. We're talking about someone who has this as their lifestyle. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 and 10. Do you not know that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers shall inherit the kingdom of God. A thief is one who practices that as his lifestyle and doesn't want to change. not talking about someone who struggles. If you fall occasionally with stealing, that's not what this is referring to. But if a person continued that after knowing the truth and had no remorse over it, no repentance whatsoever, then the Bible says they're not even Christians. Because you can't continue to steal and not be convicted of it, and not uh, feel bad about it, and say that you're a Christian. So we're not to steal, but why? Why aren't we to steal? What's the root of stealing? What's the real problem? The real root sin of stealing is selfishness. It's all centered around the desire to have and to possess something without putting out effort. Stealing is basically taking something or using something that doesn't belong to you. It belongs to someone else. And when you do that, you are only hurting them and thinking only of self. And that's the real problem. Selfishness and hurting others. The real sin of stealing is not just selfishness, so that is primary. It is that of wanting something for nothing. And the Bible speaks about work. The Bible speaks that we are to work hard. And we are not to be like, uh, like the sluggard. We are to be industrious like the ant. We are to work hard. We are to put out maximum effort. We are we are not to get something for nothing unless it's a gift. That's why Proverbs speaks against get-rich-quick schemes. Do you realize that? Proverbs speaks against that because behind get-rich-quick schemes is the idea of getting something and not working for it. And God's plan is that we work for things unless it's a gift. And then it's just a gracious extension of God's character and nature. So the real sin of stealing is that it has a complete lack of respect for others and their possessions. It only thinks of self, and in the process of stealing, it hurts others. It has no regard for the other person. It doesn't care what the other person possesses. It craves to take that from him. It's the attitude, the philosophy of me. No one else really matters. It's every man for himself, and I come first. So what's the solution to it? Instead of taking from others without working, The apostle says we're to work hard in order to give to others. Let's look at the rest of verse 28. And and this is what's revolutionary, and I'll explain it in a moment. So let him who steals just stop stealing, but rather let him labor, performing with his own hands what's good, in order that he may have something to share with him who has need. You know, the new man labors. He works hard. In fact, the Greek word for labor means to work to the point of fatigue, putting out maximum effort. It's tiresome labor. The new man doesn't just work, he works hard. Why? Now, if I didn't read this and someone asked me about this, you know what I'd say? Why? Just just my natural inclination, inclination would be that we're to work hard so uh, we would be able to support ourselves so that we wouldn't be tempted to steal. That's what would make sense to me. But that's not what Paul says. That's not why we're to work hard. This is what's revolutionary about it. He says that the new man works hard. Why? In order to earn enough to share with someone who has need. Now that's incredible. That is just incredible. You see, the old man steals to hurt people. The new man works to help people. The new man doesn't work just to help himself. He works with others in mind. Paul isn't just saying earn an honest living. You know why? Because Even an honest living could be motivated by selfishness. In fact, your average, decent, hardworking person, Christian and, and unsaved alike, the average, decent person earns a living to take care of himself. And Paul says, no, that's just selfishness. And maybe you didn't realize that. That's just selfishness if it doesn't go beyond you. We're to be different. Our motivation for work isn't to get more for ourselves. It's to get more to give to others. That, that'll blow your mind. That's incredible. That's so different. That isn't just, the Old Testament said, thou shalt not steal, and you're to labor and work hard. It did say you're to give to the poor, but it never never brought the two things, two truths together. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but you need to consider, and I need to consider, why we want more money. You ever think about that? Next time you think about asking for a raise or hoping you'll get a raise. You need to examine your motivation because the word of God says that our motivation in getting a raise and getting more money is not so that we could just hoard all these things and buy things and raise our standard of living. Our, the true biblical motivation ought to be we should want more money, yes, to support ourselves, but we should want more money so we have more money to give away. More money so that we could help those who have needs.
2: Pastor Steve gave us some very interesting things to think about regarding our work and why we work. He also gave us some helpful contrasts between the old man and the new man. I was particularly intrigued when he said that as followers of Christ, our work is not just to help ourselves, but so that we can help others also. If we work hard and make an honest living just for ourselves, the Bible says that is selfishness. Wow, that's a good reminder. You know, I hope you've been blessed and challenged by what you heard on today's Verse by Verse radio program. We will be back next time, once again featuring the teaching of Pastor Steve Kreloff, and he will continue to challenge us with God's word. So let's all be brave and come back next time for Verse by Verse.